0: Hi listeners and welcome to what is now the fourth season of Pebble in the Pond podcast. We appreciate your support throughout the first three seasons uh, as we get our listenership up towards that sixteen thousand mark. Uh, thank you everybody. We appreciate it and um, yeah, and what a privilege it is to bring you uh, these stories from amazing people. We are here and we are aiming to create a ripple for change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year, our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and and accomplished people in the mental health space. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain content, themes, or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need any assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. When it comes to mental awareness in Australia, how do we know how well we're progressing as a whole? With over 25 years of youth work experience under his belt, this week's podcast guest Bernie Shakeshaft, believes young people are the most accurate barometer of how we are faring as a nation. In the early days of his career, Bernie saw kids dropping out of school, getting into trouble and falling through the cracks of a system that couldn't meet their complex needs. Founding the organisation, Backtrack, was his solution supporting youth at risk to stay alive, out of jail, and chase their hopes and dreams. In 2006, Bernie founded the organisation with just a shed, a passionate crew of volunteers and a desire to make a real difference for young people doing it tough. Since then, Backtrack has gained national recognition for its holistic, flexible and long-term model and set a gold standard for youth work across the country. After holding the position as CEO, For 15 years, Bernie continues to play an active role in setting the organisation's strategic direction in his capacity as founder, board director and member of the executive team. Bernie has been named Australian of the Year Local Hero in 2020 and National Rural Health Alliance Unsung Hero 2019 and received the Spira Australian Rural Education Award in 2018, the Australian Crime and Violence Prevention Award in 2017, the Churchill Fellowship, award in 2014 and an honorary doctorate from the university of new england in 2020. he and backtrack have also been the subject of the award-winning documentary backtrack boys and biography back on track stay tuned to find more about backtrack uh, and also what bernie's work has been in advocating for marginalized youth bernie shakeshaft well welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us Uh, nice to be here sam bernie you're based in Armidale, but let's go back further than that. Mate, where did you grow up and how did you get into, or what were your first steps professionally? Well, look, I get a bit nervous around that professional word, mate. Um,
1: <laughs> just a kid from the bush that got in and had a bit of a go, so grew up in Armidale. Well, I did my primary school years there and then high school in uh, Sydney. Cool. But uh, Sydney, mate, it was a bit like letting a feral cat out of a bag. Was it? Wasn't the place for me. Is that um, right? Yeah, and school wasn't a particularly good spot for me either. Yep. Uh, it wasn't where I did my learning, so I was pretty keen to break those shackles as soon as I could. Before long, I had a bit of a stint in the snowy mountains, but wanted to be wild and ride wild horses, so the Northern Territory was
0: um, cool. the start of my education, really. Wow, man, that's awesome. So what you, you you went up there, were you working on a, a big ranch? Big yes, farm? I worked on stations as a young fella.
1: Yeah. Um, kind of got tired of that after a while, just wasn't enough in it for me you know certainly wasn't enough money in it for the hours that you do but it was the exact lifestyle I was looking for you know young hanging around young wild people so pretty isolated too up there were you yeah but you know kind of always enjoyed that uh being in the bush feel pretty comfortable so kicked around in uh, Tennant Creek for a while and then down Alice Springs uh, worked for uh, Parks and Wildlife in a research thing trapping dingoes so I did that for about seven years and really enjoyed that but I always was just drawn to this kind of work, you know? Yeah. So even in Central Australia, in the park stuff, I was always taking young fellas out with me, Indigenous kids in remote communities, and worked for IAD for a while out in the bush with Aboriginal mob, and I think that was the real start to my education. So I did that for a lot of years, worked on and off in youth services, so I was um, pretty well-rounded in that department. And then, for various reasons, returned back to Armada, started backtracking.
0: So, mate, tell us, I mean, before we get into backtrack... I th- there's so much, was it something just inside you that resonated with you to think working with Indigenous people, learning, is, I mean, was it something that just resonated with you that thought this is where I want to be, this makes sense for you and we what you're up to? Look, I just,
1: particularly in the bush, you know, hanging around with old Aboriginal guys in the bush was just it was special, the stuff I learnt there, you can't get that in a textbook or a university right? degree, the things they showed me in the bush was just, and so I was eternally grateful for that, you know. Yeah, it was the learning stuff, and I can hardly even talk about how special it was and what they, you know, showed me in the bush, but it still carries on. And I think not just the bush stuff, the way they are as people and getting on, and I know that there's lots of dramas out there or whatever, but one of the backtrack things is to look for the gold. And, boy, the gold's easy to see out there. So I really built a business model Mm -hmm. off that stuff, the aunties, the uncles, having fun, taking those young fellas out, good role models. Yeah. And... Always
0: felt like needed to give back a bit, you know. Was this the stuff you learned in Northern Territory? Yep, out there, Alice. Yep. Tennant Creek. Yeah. And so you, to give you confidence that it's still like there's still lots of stuff to learn out there and there are a lot of great people that unless you go and find them, I mean, you wouldn't know about it. Yeah, look, one of the first guys,
1: old cocky I worked for, I remember him saying about week two I started for him, he said, Boy, he said, You've got two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. I want you to use them in that ratio. And I carried that through, and, and I think when you're hanging around with really special people and seeing just crazy stuff, it was a good model. One yeah. mouth, use it in that ratio.
0: So tell us how that influence got you to start, or well, backtrack, and, and where that came from. Look, I think the wealth of knowledge, thinking that we know so much as whitefellas,
1: really once you kick around, are the right people you realise how you little did. you know. So sharing that stuff. Seeing how they work together, the, the family relationships, you know, that sense of belonging in the community, and it was just something that touched my heart. Forever grateful for it, and now uh, using that stuff, it's all pretty simple, and it's what we built a business on.
0: So, tell us about the business. It was established in 2006. Mm-hmm. You found it? Yep. yep. Founder. Good on you. Born out of frustration, you know, having worked in different youth
1: services and going, you know what? this stuff's not working and the people that you're working with know that it's not working. You're filling in forms, I'm not a big fan of the form filling in, and you're not getting the results. So I think really it came, it was born, born out of frustration. First job there was um, at the TAFE I had 20 kids, 10 from each of the public high schools and they said these kids, are um, they're not going to complete year 10, can you get them work ready? So we tried lots of different stuff at TAFE and they were pretty wild kids, you know, knife fights and all sorts of stuff, we got kicked out of everywhere. everywhere. So, We just sort of hung in and hung in and hung in for 12 months. I think one kid went to jail, another kid committed suicide, so we're down to 18. Wow. And then I went, you know, these kids, we've got them so close, we're really starting to build a connection with them. We're headed somewhere with them. Then you get to the end of 12 months, you're supposed to kick them out and start with another 20 kids. And I go, I don't know, I came from a, a background and a work ethic that if you start a job... You bloody well finish it mm. and I just I just went like this is not good enough and, and I've been around the services you know for the best part of 30 years I know the 16 and 26 week programs and then you kick yeah. them out and start with others it's not finishing the job so I was at a Christmas party and I was talking to this fellow having a few stubbies and I said all we need to do uh, to sort this problem out is to get a shed And about a week later, I get this random phone call from this guy, and I couldn't quite remember who he is. He said, "Um, Kevin DuPay, I'm the CEO of Regional Australia Bank. I was the fellow you were talking to at that Christmas party. I I want you to meet me down here at this address at this time. So I rolled down there, and there's Big Kev, and he's with the mayor and the local member. And he's got a set of keys, and he throws them to me. It was the old council depot. He said, well, there's your shed. Go and sort this mess out.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Mm. So that's what we did.
1: No business plan, no funding, just a handful of committed people that wanted to do something. We um, kicked off, we were all working full time, so um, we just started doing it as volunteers in the shed and from there, 2006, man, the growth has just been ridiculous and, you know, the outcomes, the solutions, keeping kids out, of everything we do is pretty simple. Keep kids alive, keep them out of jail and chase their hopes and dreams.
0: So tell us, how do you get the funding? Is it from private donations? Is it from... Do, can people donate to this? Where, is it government funded?
1: The government contribute. I think our budget last year was about 5 million, uh, and the government contribution was just a little under 5%. Yet we've got the most success rate with Indigenous kids, with keeping kids out of jail, with, you know, we have a 90% success rate of getting kids into full time jobs or back into full time education and training. Wow. But it's the way that it's set up. So all our funding comes from. Foundations, private funding. Uh, okay. I, know, I think we had 500 funding sources last year. Wow. So heaps of small individual donations, and yep. that's the stuff that keeps us in the game. But it lets us be flexible uh, and we can deliver on results rather than filling in forms and yeah. kicking kids out and starting again. It's a him and so, how many's on the team, Bernie? Okay, so we started off with two volunteers. I think the last count was about 65 on the payroll. Holy dooly. So we've got, there's two parts to the business now, really. One is the core. When we started off, we were dealing with those 16 and 17-year-olds in and out of jail. Now most of our referrals are coming through at 10, 11, 12 years of age. So now we're seeing kids not make that transition from primary school into high school. What the hell do we think is going to happen? So we've got that side of it. And then uh, probably the craziest idea we ever had a couple of years ago, we were getting kids into jobs, uh, but they'd get sacked after two or three months and they'd be back and it was kind of like, starting again and i think there's only there's only so many times you can get sacked from a job until you go oh, look i'll just head down to centrelink it's got to be easier there yeah so we went well if no one else employ those kids and they're just not quite ready it was a bit like those tafe kids they just were so close uh, but not quite getting it right we hadn't quite finished the job so we started a for-profit business that sits alongside backtrack called backtrack
0: works mm-hmm. and we only employ unemployable kids wow how's that for a business model we only employ unemployable kids. Isn't that amazing? And, right. And so they have to be, is there an age they have to be? Can they be f- ages 13, 14, doesn't matter? Yeah, we put a lot of kids. If
1: if the reading and writing's not working for them in our classroom, because we've got a classroom as well, we'll start them on like school-based traineeships. So they've got to do a little bit of the reading and writing, but then we put them out in the paddock and, and learn out there. So we've got pretty hands-on supervisors and tradies and farmers that, give us a hand so we sort of start them at any kind of age I guess mid-20s would be about the oldest what we have got now we're finding is some of these kids that went through the program years ago like five or six years ago that have been out in the real workforce are now back at leading teams of supervisors so wow. the majority of kids are indigenous and when we talk about closing the gap I look at what we're doing with keeping those kids alive they're not getting locked up in Armidale I think Armidale, there are only two LGAs in New South Wales with juvenile crime stats with downward trends. Tweed Heads is one, and Armidale is down a whopping almost 40%. Since 2006 when this was established? <clears throat> yep, so they looked at the, the stats 10 years before we started and then compared that to all the other towns of similar sizes.
0: But That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, the results that you're getting and speaking of, it's, is it a surprise to you? No, look, it's um, I really like the simple stuff. You know, nationally
1: we know the stats, here. Yeah? 20% of your kids will do 80% of your damage. Yeah. Target those 20% of the kids, and in small towns that's easy because everyone knows who they are. When are they in trouble and what are the circumstances? Usually drug and alcohol, usually on a Friday and a Saturday night. Uh, now, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to work this out. You target that 20% of kids on Friday and Saturday nights, take them out of the town, and that's where our dog program comes in, uh, your crime stats just start tumbling. So when we kicked off, the magistrate, local magistrate there said Children's Court was taking three full days. Recently, the last time we looked, I think, Children's Court starts on Monday morning and it's done and dusted by lunchtime.
0: Wow. What's the dog program? Uh,
1: look, um, just goofing around, I've always had working dogs we keep about 40 working 40 working dogs now so they're across all aspects of our program you know the girls take them into the old people's homes which has been great through we've got a program where we target the little bush schools someone goes out and kids that won't have a go at reading sit and read to a dog for an hour
0: it's pretty special to see so the kids that are struggling with their reading they sit down with the dog and read to the dog yep and that works absolutely it works and it's Again, it's simple stuff. Guess what?
1: The dog never goes, mate, the book's upside down. So kids are just having a crack at it, you know? They don't correct them on pronunciation, they just let them have a go and it's just this beautiful little connection. So that's with the little kids. With the big kids, there's a sport called uh, working dog high jump. and We've been travelling as far down as Melbourne, all over the countryside competing in these working dog high jump competitions. I think we had a world record for a while. We won a couple of Australian titles. We nearly kind of destroyed the sport in New South Wales because uh, people would go, oh, here come those professionals. Here we are, show up with a bunch of rat bag kids and caps on back the front and no shirts. But the kids were winning and it breaks down these boundaries, the communication, the connections, you know, so... So the,
0: the, they have a competition about how high a dog can jump? Yeah, yeah, so we got got dogs jumping 12 foot high up a wall. Yeah, I think. I- yeah, so, so you've got these dogs, you feed them and you, they train them as well? Absolutely. And they get ownership of a dog sort of thing, like as a group ownership, I guess? Like it's a group ownership. You know, my, a lot of our kids are couch surfers, that sort of stuff, so
1: you can't expect that they can look after a yeah. dog properly. So we, we keep the dogs and then we've got the dogs working in lots of different kind of programs. So we do specific stuff every week with the dogs, but there are always dogs kicking around the shed. So a kid comes out of the welding shed chucking stuff and having a meltdown, grabs a dog, for a walk around the block you know some um, pretty special to see
0: that's incredible so tell us you went from that that building that the council and your mate from was it regional australia bank Yep. helped you get access to back in 2006 yep and so from there what have you got now like you got a classroom yeah we've got a classroom in there so it's the old council depot
1: every time okay. the council moved a bit of stuff out of a shed we jumped in there uh, oh, right. So we've got a welding shed down there, we've got a carpenter, we've got a classroom, we're about to uh, add on to it. Our welding business is just growing exponentially. So you teach the boys to weld and build? Weld, build, we've got a residential program as well. Oh. But when we're building a classroom in an old shed, we could get a builder to come in and do it, but our kids aren't learning anything. So if, you're gonna, uh, you know, if we're going to build something, we employ the builder and he's got to work with our young fellows. Whenever the tradies come in, whether it's the electrician or the plumbers, they've got to have some of our kids involved. And it doesn't matter what you learn, you've just got to be learning something. So that's the way we've got to roll. And, and again, back to that flexible funding model, which is the game changer for us. If something's not working, say I sign up to a government program and I go, right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to teach kids how to do welding. If the kids are not showing up for well, we don't need to tell fibs about that and ticking forms and somehow and make kids do the welding we can go and catch goats in south australia if that's what works because it's around the connection it's about the belonging it's the learning uh and then the giving back to our community you know we've, we've had a long history of working on natural disasters started up in bonshaw mingula up on the queensland border mm-hmm. being flood through there uh must be 12 years ago or something took a bunch of like 30 kids up there Here's these little kids uh and help farmers do the the fencing and all dig stock out of the fences and clean mud up and you know we took <coughs> excuse me, welders up and uh, patched things up so we've been doing that the last two and a half years we've had crews out every single week still doing fire recovery fencing we had to take a little break because we had a tornado went through armadale and now we're doing the tornado cleanup and, and a lot of our funders donate us the equipment to use it's pretty special to see we've got two teams of kids up on the north coast here at the moment on mud and helping people out there so i think they're the four main things that comes from um it's called the circle of courage from you know, the first nations people in canada they say when you get these four things right and when you get these four things in balance everything will be right whether that's your personal life whether it's your community or whether it's your business those four things are as simple as this belonging you must feel connected and part of something independence you have a say in your life so you get to start having a say the kids call that excuse my language but the boys call it owning your own shit. so yep. taking responsibility for your actions the next one is mastery learning and it doesn't matter what you learn whether it's tie up your shoelace or how to catch a wild dog or do a university degree and then the final one is generosity and that's the giving back which is um why we get so heavily involved in the nat- the disaster recovery work
0: Wow, so belonging, ownership, accountability, mastery, and generosity, yeah? That's simple as that. Yeah. And so, mate, this, is this also some of the key things when you look at it now that you learnt out in Northern Territory with the elders and the uncles and aunts out there?
1: Absolutely, and didn't know it while that learning was going on. But, and I think, you know, that first one, the belonging, the connection, you know, how many wrongs have been done to Indigenous people in this country? Yeah, he's these old monger men. Take this young wild white fella in and start showing me some pretty special stuff.
0: It's incredible, isn't it? So, I mean, this, we, you're now in what year? Try and do the maths. Yeah, so year I'm 16, not gonna, yep, 16. 16 years. Yep. 16 years this has been going on for. And, mate, you've grown from two volunteers to over 65 people employed. Mm hmm. Are there still volunteers that are helping? Oh, absolutely. We've got yep. the grandmas. You know, when we talk about belonging, it's got to be every part
1: of the community. So we've got old grandmas come in and teach kids how to iron shirts and how yep. to cook and all sorts of stuff. You know. Um. And
0: mate, how do you? How does a a kid find out about this? An indigenous kid in Armidale, they're going off the rails. How does it? Do you wait till they go off the, off the rails, so to speak, or do you actively go out there and try and? How does it work? Look, the old men
1: out in Tennant Creek, they taught me this trick with catching wild animals. You don't chase them. He so said, only white fellows will chase that animal and think that you're going to catch him. You're just hunting him further and further away. So what you do is you draw. Uh, you bring them to them, to us, so we don't chase any kid. They know who we are. Uh, the coppers know who we are. The courts know who we are. The grandmas know who we are. And certainly the kids in the program know who we are. So it's, it's about young people coming to us rather than us going to uh, look for them and then the very first message a young person gets is you can't get kicked out of backtrack because these kids are kicked out of everything they're kicked out of school they're kicked out of their homes they're kicked out of the sporting clubs out of the shopping center kicked out of their communities basically and so the first message they get is you cannot get kicked out of backtrack we're in it for the long term and it takes kids a little bit to get that you know because it's, it's a bit of a foreign con- concept
0: and how long are kids with you for On average. So each time we talk to the government, they go, how long's this
1: program? And I go, are you a parent? How long is it going to take till your kids up and ready to go? You can have five kids in your family. One might be out the door at 16 and looking after himself. The other one might be hanging around when they're 30. So how long's a piece of string? Um, We stick with these young people until the job's right. What does the job look like? When it's right, they've got good connection in their lives. They're working. Uh, They've got their stuff together. They can... Cook and clothe and they're not in trouble with the cops anymore, mates. It's, it's,
0: I mean, it sounds so simple. It is. <laughs> I mean, it's it's no surprise then listening to this why it's been so successful. I mean, is it has it surprised you at all? I mean, is this is this as you're getting, you seem to be gaining momentum and traction, and hopefully more government funding will flow to you. But is it something now you're sort of looking at, going, well, we're sort of. Doing what we can here, let's roll this out in other areas, offshoots uh, of it, or is there...
1: Yeah, biggest question on all our funders' lips is replication, scalability. Can you do this anywhere else? I love it, because the first time I had this conversation six or seven years ago, it's around arts, because you're there, Bernie. And I've always said it's not because it's Bernie. There are Bernies in every single town around Australia. It's the system, it's the model, it's the... Approach. Approach. So when we're looking to help another community start now, there's only two simple things that we look for. One is that you've got a Bernie on the ground that's going to do it. Whether he gets paid, he or she, whether they get paid or not, uh, is irrelevant, you are going to show up and keep doing the job until it's done. But then you need an ambassador, I guess, someone at the top end of town, whether that's the superintendent of police or the director of education or the mayor, but you've got to have someone that is in behind you and is looking to help change things and get a shift. So we've worked for a long time to get the model right. We tried one in a town of oh seven or eight years ago but didn't quite get it right you know. I think they were expecting us to come down and do it right. The funding submissions work with the kids nearly killed me really. I was um, leaving home at four o'clock in the morning not getting home till ten o'clock at night and still trying to keep a business in Armidale up and happening. So we walked away from that model. We've been trialling stuff uh, ever since then and i Think we're onto it now so that's what we look for the the organization we'll help them set up the organization we'll show them how to do the youth work we'll help them with the funding but they've got to stand up and take ownership for it i think it has to be embedded in in a community you know it's got a it's really got to have its uh, grassroots there. You, you've got to know the people on the ground uh, and you've got to want to see something different in your town so we've got programs now Bought a big program out in Dubbo, Maury, Lake Angelico, Broken Hill, Maxwell down on the coast, just oh. kicked off in Tenerfield, got one running in Toowoomba, and I reckon we're headed for the Northern Territory
0: pretty soon. Well, wow, that's incredible. Mm. And so they're now functioning those areas, most of them are up and running, and they're getting similar and just as much positive results? Absolutely. We call it the Backtrack Network. Yeah. Um,
1: Lake Ejevo an interesting one. We um, probably kicked off helping them out about five years ago. They're now their own independent organisation. The funding's starting to come in. You know when they started, the police were doing six trips to Albury every single week to take a kid to juvenile detention. Six trips every single week. That must be like a seven or eight hour round trip. Wow. Last year, only one kid from that community got incarcerated. Six a week, down to one a year. That's incredible.
0: Well, that is incredible. Is it frustrating still to see that this, because this should be rolled out in more areas, but is it, is it frustrating on one hand, but on the other hand, it's really exciting about the opportunity to try and get it moving? I mean, is it, tell us about how you're feeling about it right now.
1: Look, I think getting it right is what the most important thing is. Yeah. And we've got to make sure that this model's right and the MOU's right and the funding model's right. Could we put our foot on the pedal? Uh, I reckon we could. You know, when I did my Churchill scholarship, I saw some wonderful funding models overseas of organisations that were um, punching well above their weight. And a lot of those were half private funding, half government funding. But the similarities with the long term programs, holistic in nature, multiple funding sources, so that if we have a change of government, for example, if you're just reliant on one funding source and something happens, you're in trouble. So we've got that. The opportunities are there. I think we've got. Over 150 communities on the waiting list going, would you come and give us a hand to get started?
0: 150. I don't know if we'll get to all those in my lifetime. Wow. 150. As far as Armadale goes, do you feel like you've, you've, you're in a position there where it's you're under control, the kids are good, they're in, going in the right direction, not many are falling through the gap? Absolutely. Armadale, I
1: reckon we've got just a beautiful size model for a town of that size. Yeah. Um, so we've just got to keep that rolling along. We've got sensational staff down there. There's 20 Bernies down there in that shed and they run it like clockwork. It's um, it's working. So I think we've got enough areas covered, the girls. We're doing the preventative work. We concentrate on the little bush schools around. We've got an extraordinary relationship with the police. wasn't always that way 15 years ago mm. <laughs> because it's a bit of the uh, us-against-them thing. But we've worked at a very high level with the police, Got great relationships every Wednesday uh, and I'm talking about the senior police coming down and detectives and they drop down, the kids, because we're teaching the kids how to use the, the barista machine. So the cops come down and coffee. Um, have coffee and we've got the old grandmas come in and make scones and biscuits and we spend a couple of hours, you know, and this is at a very senior level. Once you start having those relationships and we can
0: talk like people, you know, yeah. um,
1: big and yeah. Young and old,
0: because it opens them up to see the culture, don't they? And to talk to them, and you know, without that, without the handcuffs, without all that stuff going on, but to try and see them in a in an environment that they're comfortable in, and coming to the party to actually understand them a little bit better, is that? Oh, it's exactly what it is. And then they see them down the street and in trouble or whatever, but they can talk to them like humans, not like yeah, we're gonna lock you up. And are they? Is there any? Is there any ability for people to be able to stay the night and stuff for people that don't have anywhere to go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've got a small residential. It's only small, but they're very expensive to run residentials because it's 24 hours a day, yeah. 365 days a year. So there's six beds out there. It's usually eight. And then we've built four tiny homes as well with the kids. What we were finding was as they were ready to transition into town, we'd get them into a, a place in town. But Like most young people, not paying the rent properly, didn't pay the gas bill, you know, too many parties, too much noise. So again, it's another gap in that system. We need this little transition between being cared for in a residential kind of home. So we built four tiny homes. You know, they've got their own bathroom, kitchen, uh, and the kids have to tick a lot of lists because... While they're out there, they're also then getting rental history and pretty tough if you're a young person to get rental history if you've never rented a house. So they've got to go through all those things and they've got to be able to cook and wash. And then we start taking, it's only a small amount, but it's the principle of it, you know, so the money comes out for their rent and their power before it hits their account. Uh, So setting those things up in town when they move into the big picture seems to solve a lot of problems down the track.
0: Man, what a great transition program that is. I mean, is is it under under resource still? Like, do you feel like there's the capacity for that is a lot more if you if you had the funding for it? Yeah, we should
1: really have a residential for the girls. We like to keep them uh, yeah. a bit separated, uh, the boys and the girls, in the residential kind of setting. I think we need another place for girls. Uh, yeah, but it's also the hardest one to fund.
0: Yeah, because you're right. You need someone there, or multiple people, perhaps there. To, almost around the clock wouldn't
1: you? Always yeah I mean the kids are with us through the day but we've got a we run a kind of a house parent model which seems to be golden for us really works for us works for the kids but uh, but it's a tough job you know uh, we're dealing with the kids that you know have slipped through the cracks in society some um, I don't say it's easy work and it's a tough business.
0: And Bernie would you think that most of these kids that are coming to you and you've had a lot of experience in this now but they're just misunderstood, misguided. They just don't know where they fit in and they're trying to understand a little bit better or no one's taking the time to show them what's right and wrong. Like, is that what you're seeing? Is Gee, when you look at it, the number of kids in care, I think tonight there'll be
1: uh, 30,000 homeless kids and we've got mental health stuff running through the roof. I think the numbers are something like one in three now. They're saying are diagnosed with a mental health condition. The education system, I see there's good parts of it and I see that it works for some kids. But Dusseldorf put out a report and, 2014 when they estimated one in five kids nationally in Australia under the age of 17 don't go to school, not doing any training and certainly don't have a job. That was in 2014 when I look at the numbers we've had through there and, and as I said earlier you know we were dealing with 16 and 17 year olds now we're getting them 10, 11 and 12 the number seems to be growing. I'd be surprised if it's not one in four kids in Australia at the moment that don't go to school. Start combining all those bits and pieces and You know, it's not a good outcome. So I think the problem's getting worse. And then, you know, there are so many kids in out-of-home care and that doesn't seem to be working very well, you know. The school stuff, if it doesn't work, I mean, the onus is on the education department before they expel a kid to get them into an alternative education system. Where are the alternatives? They're not there. We're building them and it works for the kids. I don't know. I mean, I think we need to shake this education system up. If you look at transport 150 years ago, we were riding around on ponies to where we're at today. It's extraordinary, the difference, um, technology. Look at where we were 150 years ago to where we are today. Have a look at education, where we were 150 years ago, where we are today. I get this, computers and stuff in the classroom, but it hasn't kept up with the speed. You know, it's still 20 or 30 kids with one teacher, all learning the same way, doing the same stuff over and over.
0: Yes, a lot of memory regurgitation of content and that sort of thing, which you're right, if you don't fit into that model, mm-hmm. then people... Somewhat, just think, well, maybe I just don't belong to this. And, and that's why they're probably playing up and, and not concentrating.
1: And once you're kicked out of school, uh, let's say it is just one in five. Once you're kicked out of school, what do those kids do through the day? Yeah. Then the trouble starts. And if you don't feel connected to something, if you don't have that belonging, you'll create your own belonging. That's where you get the little gang groups and stuff, you know. Uh, and if everybody's against you, they'll stick in. So we've just got to do it in a little bit of a different way, and I, I think it's a very easy problem to solve. Just got to get on and do it.
0: Well, That's incredible. I mean, it'd be so rewarding, wouldn't it, to be part of this program and to be able to see that come through. I mean, it must give you some serious pride to look back on what's been achieved and, and the people that have helped you achieve achieve it, of course, but to have the outcomes that you're getting is, is truly amazing. So, I mean, congratulations, but it must be something you're very proud of. Oh,
1: absolutely, but I... Uh, I'm going to keep coming back to it. I don't see the jobs done yet. Yeah.
0: want to do it. Wait, what's, the, what's the end goal? Is it, is it no kids on the street? Is it the Indigenous, you know, the crime rates are down? What, what's, what does it look like?
1: For me, the big picture is to help as many kids who are having a hard time as possible. And these are complex social problems. I think we've got to find some solutions to them. And Well, I know that we are. So, yep, pretty proud of what we're doing, but I've only just started warming up.
0: So what what's what's your role now and where where is it going to head in the future, Bernie? Like, are you more sitting over the top, making sure each of the different backtrack boys or backtrack areas are actually on track doing their things, everyone's looked after?
1: Yeah, I've just recently stepped down as the CEO, not stepped down, moved sideways. Yeah. Now I'm just the founder, maybe the front man for the band, got the ideas. You know, I don't think we can do more than we've done. We've been... Uh, Recognised with awards at local, state, national level. We've got kids coming out that just, I go, boy, look at that young fella. When you think of where they came from and where they're at now, you know, people think we're an Indigenous program, but it's not the case. We just work with kids who are having a hard time. Uh, well, you just can't fit us in any little box, you know. That's what I want to see. And for any community in Australia that wants to see things differently for their young people in their towns, we want to be able to show that there are ways, and we don't sit around with much defining the problems, we're a bit of a fan on the old solutions, and I love the saying, after action comes clarity. So where did we start off? A bunch of volunteers, we didn't have a game plan, we just started doing it, we got in and did it, and everyone went, you're mad, you can't do this, it won't." Well, you know the first few years, right? over you've got away with it for a year or two, and then it's, well it's not sustainable, you won't be able to sustain the funding, Right? right. we don't listen to that garbage, we'll just get on and keep going. And, look at where we're at now you know the indigenous kids i just go oh when i journey back to my trip in the territory you know the years i spent up there i go look at how they do it they're the toughest smartest most resilient people in the world and in the face of adversity and lots of things not going right there is a lot that is going right as well and i feel you know certainly those indigenous kids have got a really special place in my heart and i go they should have the same opportunities as my kids yeah Um, and if we have to do things a little bit differently to create those opportunities then let's just do things a little bit differently
0: and as far as the juvenile systems go and and the correctional centers tell us is have you got a link in with them to try and you know get kids out of there into your programs Look, when we first started we were dealing with kids in and out
1: the success rate of kid with one kid, once he gets locked up, starts plummeting. It's a really hard work. You know, we, we know all the stats. 80% of kids will re-offend in 12 months. Once you start that cycle, you're in trouble. Our solution, get in in front of them. We want to catch those kids. We know that a kid is almost certain to head for incarceration if they're kicked out of school, if they're homeless, if they've got drug and alcohol issues, if they've got mental health If they've used their three police cautions, so if they're in contact with the legal system and there's no support around them, you can almost bet your life that they're going to head into incarceration. So we jump in at that stage. If you can get in earlier, even better, but that's where we're kind of focused. I don't know. When when you look at the cost, I think it's up to something like $476,000 a year to keep one kid incarcerated. What is the number? $1,600 a day to keep one kid in jail. Well, knowing that they're going to end up back in there or and the, the likelihood is that they'll end up back in there. So in New South Wales, I think there's about 260 kids locked up at the moment. That's something like $400,000 every single day we're spending. Four hundred grand per day to lock a kid up. And in Australia, I tell you what, if you want to start opening the shame file, how is it that at 10 years of age... That is the best solution we've got. We can lock kids up at 10 years of age. I think we're coming third in the world for incarceration. We know it doesn't work. Why do we throw so many billions of dollars into something that, you know, not just won't work but destroys lives and doesn't create the opportunities coming out? So for me, prevention. What's that saying? Um, an ounce of prevention is better than a tonne of cure.
0: That's very – That's very. I mean, that distinction is very good. But the other thing I, I just want to – when, when I'm thinking about this now, I mean, there's no reason why even non-Indigenous kids wouldn't benefit from such a program. Oh, look, it's not just Indigenous kids.
1: It's about 70% in our program. Is you it? know, when you get out west, it's a little bit higher or whatever, but this is not about Indigenous. This is about white kids, Aboriginal kids, boys and girls. It's about kids who are having a hard time. The kids that have fallen through the cracks in society is what it's about.
0: Yeah, because I look at the, the key framework for it, that the belonging and ownership, mastery, generosity, I mean... That, mate, you could. I mean, everyone could benefit from that, <laughs> could let's,
1: let's start with the big people. Yeah, adults. How about taking responsibility for your actions? Come on.
0: But like you said, it's so simple, but so applicable to so many different areas of your life, if in different cultures. But but you are having some great success with indigenous kids, which is fantastic, and and other kids as well, which is which is really mm-hmm. good. You, it sounds like it's rolling out. You're getting some momentum now. Trying to get more areas on board. This once those two key things are. Are taken care of. Is the plan to have you know a, f- a fair few more towns in, on board by the end of the year? Or do you have a what's the long term vision with that?
1: As many towns as need it. Yep. I'm guessing there's not many in Australia that don't need it. No. But the, the funding model, we've got to sort this stuff out. Uh, and I think at the government level, I think there are ways of doing this, uh, and very effective ways. You've just got to keep having those conversations around and around
0: I mean it would work, I mean a similar model would work in the city as well, wouldn't it? Yep, I mean I like the bush stuff, that's where I grew up,
1: Uh, that's where I lived and and I think there are some real benefits in, in smaller communities. I think it's just easy to get traction and get moving faster. but. You know, the cities have their own little hubs as well. There's no reason it can't work in the city. It's the same principle. Are we talking about belonging? Are we talking about being connected? Are we talking about learning? Are we talking about generosity?
0: You can do that anywhere in the world. Well, I mean, it sounds... It's so good, the stuff that you've been doing. Obviously, you've won a heap of awards and you, you, you keep growing, going from strength to strength. The future sounds br- bright and exciting. It sounds like you're getting a bit of traction and, and the success of the model means obviously you're going to hopefully we see this roll out and loss uh, along more towns is there anything else mate you want to say in closing is i mean how can people get hold of you and uh, any anything else you want to
1: say yeah look uh we've got a web page with a lot of information on it and there's links to the documentaries and bits and pieces so that's just www.backtrack.org there's ways to help donate if people want to chip in and give us a hand and you can see exactly what we do on that web page you know we're on all the socials facebook and face the kids call it you know so you can keep regular kind of updates to see what we're up to you know i don't know i think if there's one thing that we can do it's provide hope that there are solutions to this stuff and um then we just need to back it up and show them that there are solutions so you know what a beautiful country i think there are some things that we could do a whole lot better and i'm not going to bed until we start doing things a bit better
0: well good on you bernie mate you sound i mean you're definitely a doer and you're truly selfless in what you've been achieving certainly over the last 16 years. But, um, mate, looking forward to hearing more about it and thanks very much for your time. Nice one, Sam. Thanks, Bernie.
1: Cheers.
0: Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to sharing your next conversation.